we're so happy to again be talking to Lydia Bastianich. Um, as always, she has a wonderful new, very useful book out called Lydia's A Pot, A Pan, and a Bowl. And it just hits the mark, Lydia, when everybody's trying to simplify their lives, reduce stress, and prepare for the holidays. Um, to yeah. know that you could do that with the tips you offer in this book and the recipes is, is a gift that you gave us all. Well, thank you, thank you. That was the, the idea. You know, the idea for the book came a bit before uh, the pandemic. But then the pandemic set in, and I felt ever more the sort of the feeling, the, uh, the need, the simplicity that my grandmother cooked, my mother cooked, you know, one pot, and they would have a meal, a nourishing meal for the whole family uh, with proteins, with legumes, with vegetables. And so I said, you know, i got to get back to that basic cooking and uh, really put out some, some of the recipes that I recall that we used at home and some new ones too. So, you know, uh, uh, everybody just loves it. It's, it's the thing that I guess uh, uh, now could be really put into, into, into action by a lot of people. Simple cooking, oh, yeah. straightforward, and for the family. Well, the, um, I, I was so pleased that you did a whole um, section on eggs. I mean, I think eggs are the most useful things we have. <laughs> I, I think so. You know, they've been sort of maligned. They're no good. They're this, they're that. But you know what? I had, my grandmother had the animals, the courtyard animals. She had chickens. She had ducks. She had geese. We had eggs from chicken, ducks, and geese. And my, my uh, job would be to go and, and harvest these eggs with a little basket in the morning and go see. But my, my grandmother knew exactly how many eggs. She knew which chicken laid what. <laughs> and, 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 you know, eggs were uh, an important protein and nourishment for us. Meat wasn't all that abundant. And so and eggs were quick, efficient. We liked them, you know, whether it was for morning, whether it was for lunch, uh, you know, frittata, whether it was boiled with a vegetable in a salad, maybe even for dinner with a slice of prosciutto. So I love eggs. I use a lot of eggs. In I a do sense, too. You know, and, and you know, I, I said, okay, let me include all these recipes. Give people some, some of my flavors and ideas with eggs and uh, let them use it. And, yeah, yeah. And, and, and excited because we just got a shipment of duck eggs. <laughs> oh, they make I, duck eggs make great pasta. Oh my goodness! Really? Pasta. Yes. Why? Yes. What? What about? Uh, because them? of the richness, I think, in the yolk yeah, they're and, rich, uh, and and the aroma and all of that. Uh, you know, the uh, I expected them to be bigger. They're not much bigger than the, than uh, our regular hen's eggs. Well, they're progressively bigger. You know, the chicken eggs, and then there's the duck eggs is the next size up, and then there's the goose eggs, which is the, oh, the, the bigger yeah. one, you know. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, I remember all of them. I used to have fun with, you know, collecting them. Well, I I like that I mean, one of the things, reading through this book, like every time I read one of your books, I come across recipes that I've forgotten, dishes that I... I really long for, but haven't had any for a long time. And I came across your dandelion greens with hard-boiled eggs on them. I mean, you that go. used to be a rite of spring for us. Absolutely, absolutely, dandelion. When it's, I used to go harvest, you know, in the wild, the wild dandelions, the wild 
uh, radicchio, and it was young, and in uh, early spring, that would make a great salad just like that, raw. But when yeah. it got a little bigger, grandma would boil it. You can boil the dandelion, right. cook the eggs, and then do a salad either with fresh dandelion or with boiled dandelion. Yeah. And um, you know, my, my mother used to joke that um, her grandmother used to go and, and pick the dandelions in the cemeteries. all right who knows but anyhow um yeah no you're hinting at something else about your books that's always so wonderful is you don't just throw recipes at your readers you you actually give them practical tips and you give them suggestions for serving and how to expand the possibilities I mean, typically, you, you know, you you explain about economies of cooking as well, not only just simplification, but economies, and I think that's really important now. I think, you know, people are aware and people are, uh, you know, very informed today, you know, so why shouldn't they be informed about the recipe and the way they cook and why they cook? And, you know, some of these the chemistry that happens in cooking and some of the economy that you could, you know, uh, in cooking, you can really watch your your spending if you, with cooking, you know, dry kidney beans, uh, reconstitute them. Uh, I use, you know what I use? I use a lot of split peas. I use a lot of dry favas. And all of these yeah. as a base, as a base for soup because they disintegrate completely and give that velvety texture and richness to the soup. So you don't need a lot of other meats or whatever. The basis, you know, the soup is really delicious. And so, yeah, understanding the product, understanding. And I think one of the important things in this book is really understanding the timing of cooking of each product. I emphasize that. Because, yeah, no, you, know, you, you do, and even with the, the – I was surprised you did the Instant Pot, but, but you did it right, as that you specified. You don't just dump everything in a pot and let it go. You, you cook exactly. things the num- amount of time they're supposed to be cooked. Exactly. You know, if you have, if you have beef and then you make uh, sort of a stew, let's say, but I, I like to put in sweet potatoes and carrots. And oh, I like potatoes. that sweet potato idea. That sounds great. But you see, sweet potatoes cook rather quickly. So you have to wait until you get about half an hour towards the end of the meat cooking. That's when you add the sweet potatoes. So that's the important thing in this cooking, when you cook a one pot, that you time all the ingredients right so they don't become a mush. Right. Now, you, you helped me out with another thing, too, um, monkfish. Now, I mean... I don't know if my reaction to monkfish is from looking at them and they're the ugliest fish I've ever seen. <laughs> it is, it is. But it's delicious. Yeah, but I never liked the texture of it. But you actually, um, you, you, you braise it so that it, I guess it's a whole different texture. Exactly. That's a fish that has a kind of a salad texture, almost like a lobster texture, you know, almost mm-hmm. like a little bit of uh, uh, uh chewy, if you will. So cooking it uh, in a brodetto or in a stew, it does it, does it, does it good. Uh, it's not like, you know, regular fish that you put in a pan and you twist it back and forth and it's done. That's yeah. maybe what you, you have. So That's yes. probably That's, it because it's the texture that I think I disliked about it. 
Ah, no, you have fact. to have to praise it. I have a great recipe there with beans and uh, you know a brodetto, and you know you have such a such oh, a it's a good recipe. Of... I'm going to try yeah. that one. Yeah, um, try, yeah, try. it's monkfish brodetto with cannellini. Yeah, that's good. Exactly. So, and the other thing that I was Go ahead. Ed. The other thing I was really pleased to see is um, we we just hit on um, somebody uh, who actually um, it's fast frozen, it's well sourced, it's just frozen fish. And I mean, growing up, everyone looked down on f- frozen fish, uh-huh. but well, you know this this Wolf Fish Store, <laughs> fish shop or whatever it is in Boston, this stuff is really good quality. And so you know, I, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, absolutely. You can get some great, uh, uh, because it's flash frozen fish. They yeah. freeze it on the boat when they catch it. You can't and get deep freeze it. It's really frozen. Yeah. So yeah, you have this wonderful recipe I'm going to try with braised calamari with olives and peppers. Now, does that sound good or what? <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, you know, calamari, if you braise them, you cook them uh, longer because calamari, if you sear them, or, uh, uh, they, you, they, they don't take long to cook. But if you begin to braise them, then you have to braise them uh, until they're nice and tender because they go through tender and then they toughen up a little bit. And then yeah, they, now, how do you know what to do with that? I mean, and if well, you, you ought to cook it long, quick. You ought to cook it quick or long, as my mother used to so, say. Yeah, if you sear the calamari in a pan or fry or, or grill, that's short, all short cooking. But if you put it in some sort of a liquid, a brodetto or long, you know, a sauce mm-hmm. or whatever, then it takes longer. It takes, you know, half an hour or more. But the best way is to actually taste. You know, you pull out a ring, but it does take longer if you cook it in, in, <coughs> in, a, in a soupy situation. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, we've also, from the same... The supplier gotten um, um, octopus legs, which they're already cooked, which really saves a lot of time. Uh, yeah. So octopus legs cooked? Yeah, they they come cooked. No, I got from this similar place. I got yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think I think that uh, all this convenience food. I, you know, I I I appreciate people when they cook. That's what my my uh, reasoning is all here so to make the recipe so that people really want to cook. So understanding today, busy people that are busy doing everything, they convenience some food. So if you have uh, a cooked uh, 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 lobster leg, mix a great salad. I make a salad with tomatoes, with uh, celery uh, and uh, lobster meat and boiled eggs, mind you, and it's mm-hmm. delicious. But also, you can make a nice uh, uh, pasta sauce. You know, you make your, let's say that you do have in the refrigerator, uh, some in the freezer, some sauce, marinara sauce or something. So you take those legs, you take them out, the, the frozen legs, a little bit of, of, of cooked legs, a little bit of garlic and oil, and then you put the sauce and give it one boil just for the flavors, and you got yourself some pasta sauce, some delicious pasta sauce. You know, we, we just discovered a, a box of... Um, of your rigatoni frozen in, my, in the back of my refrigerator. I, mean, I, I would hesitate to tell you how long they've been there. But I took them anyhow, and, and they were fine, absolutely fine. They held up yeah. fine, which is another thing I liked about your book, is that um, 
I've always had a lot of trouble doing fresh pasta, cooking it right. It was just falls to piece if you want to do anything with it. But you you actually like the texture and, and the quality of dried pasta, right? I love the texture of dried pasta. I love dried pasta. And in this book, what I did, which was a first, but I said, I'm going to try it, this pre-cooked lasagna pasta. And I have a recipe in there, a yeah. skillet lasagna with pre-cooked lasagna pasta and you know what i I saw that right away because that's right up my alley (laughs) pre-cooked it was it was delicious the pasta because you know pre-cooked rice or pre-cooked pasta what it is it's usually steamed it's cooked with steam and then rehydrated Uh, and uh, you know i was wondering about the texture well let me tell you it was delicious it was quick in 30 40 minutes you can have a lasagna on the table for your family you know providing you have the sauce and all that you put the pasta as it is dry, just make sure you have enough sauce in there for it to cook, and uh, give it enough time or follow the, the recipe, and you've got yourself a great lasagna with pre-cooked pasta, never mind dry or making pasta. Well, and you indicate that this is all very acceptable, which is certainly encouraging to people when they're short of time and they're short of temper, they're short of all kinds of things right now. Um, yeah. And you, you, the thing that's great is you make, you make, you, everything's okay. You know what I mean? Right. You don't you lecture. You don't. Yeah. You have to select your products. You know, select them nice. And I, mm-hmm. I as I said, I tested it uh, because uh, you know I wanted to. I, you know, you understand that people are working, but people want to cook at home for families. So let's make it accessible. Let's make cookie, cooking not exclusive, but let's make it accessible and easy. Yeah. Now, there's another question I have, but I think you answered it. I've tried a number of recipes for shaved raw artichokes, and I thought it was horrible. But yours, your recipe, you get recipe the artichokes that are so young that they don't even have a choke where do you get that well you know you look for those but usually in the seasonality of things artichokes are at their best in may so april the little baby artichokes are out and you can have them there uh in in the stores so yes choosing and baby artichokes also feeling that it's nice and firm and then the question is, of course, you remove the outer tough leaves, you cut with a serrated knife the tip of the artichoke leaves that you have left, and you sort of clean the stem a little bit, and then you cut it very thin. Uh, you know, it's on, 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 a, on a mandolin is the best. You have to be careful. But on a mandolin is the best to cut, cut it nice and thin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my mandolin never works. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like uh, the celeriac in um, salads, but I never yeah. can get it thin enough, and my mandolin is very unreliable. I mean, it's a na- big-name brand. I can't remember what it is. but You know what you so. can do with the celeriac? You can use the box grater and you use the big, uh, the big holes, and so you, oh, get yeah. the shreds. you get shreds of it. Well, that wouldn't be bad. You could do that in the Cuisinart, too. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Now, I also never knew, one of my go-tos is pa- pa- panzanella, and I didn't, I always think of it 
as with tomatoes in the summer, you have both the summer and a winter one. I, I was really startled. I'd, you'd think I'd know about the winter panzanella, but I didn't. Well, panzanella is a summer dish, uh, the use of ripe tomatoes and, and dry bread. Uh, yeah. But, you know, you can extend that into the winter. You have dry bread in the winter. Uh, what, what, what the secret of a panzanella exactly. is that the dry bread gets reconstituted. So, you know, if you have some tomatoes, you put it in, or otherwise you put a little bit more dressing. But with the tomatoes, uh, roasted vegetables are delicious, you know, whether you have eggplant, whether you have sweet potatoes, uh, uh, you know, uh, Jerusalem artichokes. Uh, you, you toss that in, and that's the winter stream beans, you know. Uh, winter vegetables, potatoes, uh, boiled or, or, or roasted, and uh, uh, peppers, roasted peppers, and you toss it, and it's a great, great salad. And the bread, the bread needs to be uh, kind of soaked a little bit, absorb the juices. So if you don't put the tomatoes in there, uh, you know, make sure that you have a little bit of extra of the dressing. And mm-hmm. you let it steep in there before you serve it so that the bread gets a chance to pull out the juices from the vegetables. Now, the, um, there were two recipes in here that I was surprised to find. One of them uh, was kitchen cut, chicken cacciatore, and the other one was wedding soup. I mean, is wedding soup even Italian? Yeah, it is. Zuppa di rinforzamento, it's called. It's a, a, a reinforcement soup. And I guess it's, it's, it's made like a wedding soup because uh, the groom and the bride need some reinforcement at some, time, at some point. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but what it really is, is, you know, that there isn't a lot of protein in the sort of simple regional Italian cuisine. And so, you know, you had a little bit of chopped meat, you made these little meatballs, you made a lot of vegetables and legumes in there, and it's a, a soup of rinforzamento. It's a full-course soup. You have your protein, you have your legumes, you have... So it's really a, a, a very uh, nourishing soup, I think. That's, so that soup exists, absolutely. Okay. Now, you say you mixed classics in with some new recipes. Are there new recipes that you're excited about in this book that you'd want to tell our listeners about? Well, you know, the lasagna is all of these these new kind of the use of of, of this convenient food. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the salad salads with the uh, canned beans and all of that. I think look for these convenient uh, foods, and I think those are some of uh, my my recipes that I and do I mean. Did I invent any recipes? No, I didn't. You know, I don't invent recipes. I, <laughs> I, am, tradi- I am a traditionalist, but I do, I do uh, make some, some, some additions, some changes, some this. So you can look forward to those, you know, something that might look like a traditional recipe, but it has the Lydia touch. Well, listeners, if you think that, how many cookbooks do you have now? Out? Twelve. Twelve. Well, yeah. if, if you think you've read it all, you haven't got the latest one, which is going to go to the top of your list for its convenience and its, its economy, and you're going to pull it out for your holiday cook because uh, Lydia tells you what you can do to uh, augment it, 
feed a crowd, be flexible. Uh, so you could, you're all set for the holidays as well. And many of the dishes are festive just because that's how Lydia is. It's Lydia Bastianich. Lydia's a pot, a pan, and a bowl. And uh, it's wonderful as always, Lydia. I mean, you're, you're, you're you're just so thorough in your books, and you're so common sense. <laughs> it's just wonderful. Yeah, 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 well, that's what it is. Get your common sense. Use it. Uh, you know, yeah. we all have it, and I tell all the time the readers, use common sense. You know, if you doubt something <laughs> or a sense, most likely your common sense will tell you that the, the real truth. <laughs> so listen to yourself. Yeah. Well, I hope your family's all well. And yes. con- congratulate Tanya also, who worked with you on this book right through the pandemic. And uh, yeah, and yeah, and uh, have you been back to Italy since the pandemic? I have, I have. I was back uh, in October, oh, nice. uh, and uh, it was nice to be back because I miss it. Because you know, I get my energy and my resources from there. Uh, I see yeah. if I see something right away, an idea sort of Lydia's way comes to mind, you know. This is, so it's important that I see what Italy is up to so I can bring it here. Right. Well, I miss I haven't been, and I really miss it. Well, it's great talking to you. I miss you, too. And uh, uh, it's great. Yeah, it's great talking to you again. A pleasure. If, I, if we don't talk again, have the wonderful holiday, enjoy your family, and try some of my recipes. Ah, <laughs> that's for all of us, Miss. Podcasting services for On The Menu Radio are provided by ASP Station, www.aspstation.net. Well, we're going to be talking to Andrew Freeman, who I, I meet up with once a year at least, and Candace McDonald. Um, uh, Andrew is uh, from um, AF and Co, and Candace is from Carbonate. And now, tell me the difference again. Once, tell me what the difference is yeah, sure. between your two to. companies. So, uh, AF and Co is a um, marketing and public relations agency based in San Francisco that um, works primarily with hospitality clients on their sales, marketing, public relations. And we had started a brand communications division, a branding uh, wing of AFCO. And then Candace and I go way back. We're um, 12 years into our partnership. And um, I call her my longest-term relationship. And, <laughs> um, and um, Candace and I started the branding division at AFCO, AF&Co. And then um, about two and a half years ago, we decided to break it out and create a secondary company called Carbonate which is focused on brand strategy and communications, and it's been going great. And so... Um, what is the name? Is, How does it relate to what you do, Carbonate? Carbonate? Oh, Carbonate is bubbling with ideas. How is it? Yeah, yes. Uh, you know, just uh, the great things happen, you know, like when you're, when you're bubbling. And, um, and so, <laughs> That's we, right. Uh, yeah, and so we decided that... Uh, so it Candace is carbonate, run, like carbonate, yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah Candace would run carbonate, and I'd run AFCO, and together we'd run everything together, and that's Great. how it started. Mm-hmm. Well, the reason we meet annually is to get your, um, not your, 
we, we call them predictions, we'll call them your report on yes. uh, the top hospitality trends that we can look forward to in 2022. And, right. and it's, it's been a fairly momentous year, two years actually. Uh, so I think we could start by saying, what do you think are, are the biggest directors of the, the trends? What, what do you well, think I can, is that I can the most? And then, I'll let, then I'll let Candace chime in. I think, you know, the, uh, the theme of the report this year was through the looking glass, you know, finding your way through uh, a new era uh, in um, hospitality. And that's because, you know, our lives have been changed forever by, you know, the events, not only of COVID, but, you know, the election, everything that happened in the last couple of years, Black Lives Matters. And, you know, we, we're coming out of this or we think we're coming out of this, even though, you know, I think we're going to end up learning to live with COVID and learn, live with the pandemic. But we definitely yeah, we've got Omicron now. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. So, you know, you, you know, every day you think, oh, we're finally out of it. But I think I think we're learning to live with it and the world is fighting to come back. So our predictions really were you know, sort of taking a look through this looking glass, if you will, the Alice in Wonderland reference to predict what we see as, um, you know, the new era of hospitality and how it will impact that. Candice, you want to add anything to that? Yeah, you know, I think there's a, there's a famous quote from Alice in Wonderland where Alice says, no use going back to yesterday because I was a different person then. And, yeah. uh, you know, that's, that's sort of how I think everybody we talk to is, you know, sort of yeah. is not the same. We're, we're forever changed. Um, and But as Andrew said, we're adapting and we're looking at this world around us. Nothing is really, it seems to, I mean, all the craziness in the world, nothing's really surprising anymore. And so um, now it's really looking at what are the opportunities and how do we, how do we take a fresh look mm-hmm. and, and, and move, move ahead? Um, and that, that's actually, yeah. you know, d- despite all of the challenges, that's actually, you know, quite fun. And, and there's a lot of opportunities there still. I mean, I think that's one of the things that we've seen is that um, creativity has prevailed. And so mm-hmm. that's, that's good for all of us who like to. Isn't that the truth, and especially in our industry? Creativity oh, has really done on the human's job and getting us all on track. I mean, I'm so impressed and proud. I would say resi- resilience, too, because. You know, going into this, everybody thought it was the death of the industry. And, you know, there have been sad losses for sure. But, you know, it's just an amazing, it's amazing to see the resilience that the industry has faced. And I think we looked at that as we were making our, you know, predictions because it was still really exciting despite the fact that, you know, there had been such devastation to, you know, the industry at large. You know, and now we're coming out of it with a completely new set of challenges like the staffing shortages oh, and wow. everything yeah. you know, and everything else. So, you know, the report was really interesting. It was very interesting for us because it's sort of what sets our tone too for the year, but it's, uh, you know, but we definitely had some fun with it as well. Candace said. Now, Andrew, is it, is it different around the country? I mean, is, is San Francisco mm, yeah. different than New York is different than Chicago is different than New Orleans? Yes. And Candace always reminds me of this, um, but um, <laughs> you know, it sort of um, starts. You know, I, I would say the the, the, co- the coast, uh, New York, you know, San Francisco, the big cities definitely have different challenges than the um, you know the second tier cities or middle America. Even you know, right down to what the protocols are, you know, uh, as it relates to doing business in the cities now. But 
you know, I think one of the most exciting things, again, that happened is co- during COVID is, you know, some of these really talented chefs and restaurateurs left the big cities to go either home or to smaller, more manageable places. And that's why you're starting to see such great restaurants popping up all over the country. Well, we've never seen so many smash burger joints, though, ever in my lifetime. Candace always reminds me that, you know, the whole world doesn't revolve around San Francisco, you know, obviously, because that's where, you know, I'm, I'm doing a lot of our business. But Can- right. Candace's uh, team is all over the country. So we see, mm-hmm. you know, her team is all over the country. Uh, do, you, do, you, do you see across the big pond, Candice? I mean, we, I, I, get eat, I get eat in London. Seems like every 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 day or every other day, and and there's a there's a new restaurant and there's a new re- new restaurant trend almost every day. Yeah, you know it's interesting. I mean, for this report, we we focus specifically on the U.S., but I think one of the things that we've seen for sure is that the the world is just getting smaller. And you know, and I think mm-hmm. you know things travel and things that are interesting in one place come to the U.S. much more quickly than um, before. So I think um, you know, there's 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 definitely uh, Instagram and social media have really you know we eat with our eyes, oh, right? Sure. And, and so that's certainly um, helped fuel a lot of a lot of. Uh, interest in things that might have taken longer in the past. Well, there's, I've been watching some trends um, for such a long time, and they seem to have come to fruition finally, unquestionably a, a trend, such as this fanatic concern for healthful. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, I think, I, you know, I, I, there is, you know, it's plant-based, it's vegan. There's all these different levels now of what what healthy is. Um, but, you know, it's balanced out with, you know, indulgence and, you know, different kinds of cuisine. I mean, we, you know, um, we called Nashville as our um, food city of the year. Did um, you read, by the way, that where was it? I read something about how the character uh, fabric of Nashville is being destroyed by all the reference from outsiders opening up and changing the climate. Oh, that's interesting. Well, I mean, there's definitely... I just read that today, that that they were at risk of losing the character of the city. So many of the traditional restaurants have closed, and all the newcomers have come in with outside money and influences and styles. Well, it's so interesting, because I think that you have that discussion in a lot of places where you have, you know, very... um, you know, a story of local cuisine, and then you do when, when the city attracts people from other places. That is definitely something that's happened in Nashville. They're getting a lot of really interesting chefs that are coming. I think what, what I would hope is that um, there's such an interest in, you know, sourcing ingredients locally and, and digging into, I mean, that's something that we've noticed a lot of uh, in the past years and, and certainly this year, too, is really looking at, you know, a sense of place being so important to so many chefs. So I would hope that what, it, what would happen is that with those kinds of chefs, those big names coming in, that that would be good for the, the local purveyors that uh, support the, the local cuisines that are of, of different cities. Um, but I would hope that that would actually, um, you know, kind of create more attention for a city and more interest in, in, in all of the restaurants that are there um, would be my hope. But, you know, I don't know. I have my concerns because um, I mean I don't see anything glorious in um, meat plus three. If you read in these places, <laughs> typical yeah. Nashville. Well, it all depends. 
It all depends on what it is, I guess. <laughs> Uh-huh. Yeah, well, I don't think we still But I definitely that. think that, you know, I think what we saw is the, you know, even more so, you know, because I think vegan and plant-based have sort of become cultural now so that, yeah. you know, we didn't really see it as a trend trend. Um, we had called it a couple of years ago. Um, what we were really seeing is this deep dive into indigenous cooking and where food comes from and um, cultural you know, appropriation uh-huh. as it relates to food, um, whether it be Filipino or, um, you know, African-American origin. Caribbean was our um, food of the year um, because it, it spans, you know, such a, mm-hmm. a wide range of uh, oh, exactly. places. And, yeah. and the flavors are just, you know, amazing. And so, you know, I think w- within each of those categories, there's going to be the option to have, a plant-based dish or a vegetarian dish or whatever it is. But, um, and I think there'll still be a smattering of, you know, strictly vegan restaurants and strictly plant-based restaurants. But I think everybody's just adapting to the fact that they have to offer that now on the menu. Well, what about, did you see, um, who, where's, where's some, uh, Hume's restaurant and what hotel is it in London Rabbit? It's in, it's in, it's in a really fancy schwanky Hotel, old fashioned, I can't remember old, which old one. Hotel called, it's called Claridge's. Oh, it's in Claridge's. And, and they yeah. said no that well, well, when he on, wanted on. to bring his vegan concept into hold, his hold, restaurants hold in Claridge's. I wasn't, I wasn't entirely done. The, the interesting thing is that the, the space in Claridge's Hotel was actually designed for, guess who, Gordon Ramsay. Oh, yeah, right. Mm. True. And he, he and he yeah. ran it for a while, and then a good good friend of ours called Simon Rogan took 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 over the space, and uh, has been very was very successful, and then and then along came whoever it was who wanted to fund what's his name now I forgot I forgot Daniel Hume Daniel Hume Daniel Hume was going to be trendy and successful, and apparently the hotel management liked it so much they said no go away yeah go away and open your restaurant someplace else (laughs) did you read pete wells's review i was just gonna yes (laughs) yes yes (laughs) you know i I, you know i definitely i gotta say that you know i think there's a place for everything and i think you know you have to also think about the mainstream audience and the popularity of you know how you're going to keep open by you know, making a, doing a concept that's going to make sense for where it is and what it is, you know. Um, mm-hmm. And so, you know, I can understand um, the price points and everything being sort of really challenged. Oh, well, know, yeah. You know, like the, the yeah. funniest, you, you, you should have a category for the funniest product development of the year. My favorite one was the people with impossible meat. They, mm-hmm. they made impossible pork and got a kosher stamp of approval. <laughs> oh, I love that. I, I hadn't heard that. Yeah, I, I know we introduced we, did, we introduced impossible chicken nuggets. We did impossible chicken nuggets. Uh, was, uh, you know, was, uh, yeah. And so, yeah. Like that's yeah. so funny. Mm-hmm. Of course, the bacon freak guy, the bacon freak guy, uh, his father um, was a, um, a chemist, and, and he managed to, to figure out um, a way of, of getting kosher bacon, and, and that's a whole business. 
It's not real bacon, obviously, but it has all the chemical components of real bacon smell and look and so forth and so on. But well, run us through some of these trends so we can we can chat about them. All right, as we are doing, um, but still. Yeah. Well, I think I'll, you know I think we can start and just touch on some of the highlights. Obviously, we'll focus on food Good. and restaurants for you. Um, you know, as I said, you can, you know, your, you know, your listeners can download the whole report, you know, if, if they want to see it. But um, I would say that, you know, and Candace jump in, but I think, that, as I mentioned, Cuisine of the Year was Caribbean, and, um, and we definitely agree with that. Um, you know, and then Rising Star Cuisine was Indian, not just, the, again, like a deeper dive into where Indian food comes from, whether it's historical or regional or whatever, you're seeing a lot of um, pretty amazing Indian restaurants popping up, um, you know, in the uh, – Candice, what's the one in New York that everybody's raving about right now? Um, Damaka? Is that it? Yeah. yeah Damaka. What's yeah, it called Damaka. again? Yeah. Uh, Damaka. Um, it's spelled D-H-A-M-A-K-A. Oh, um, okay. and then, yeah, and, and we have a client, yeah, we have clients here called Aurum, which is A-U-R-U-M, which is, um, golden, uh, in Indian. And I think they're just diving into more than just, you know, what everybody thinks Indian food is. But is it um, more high end? We, we yeah, went more, to, yeah, we went to a high end, uh, yeah. a number of high end Indian restaurants in London, of course. Yeah. And even they, I have no idea they made high end wines in India. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's amazing. Candice, you want to take some of the food, the food uh, trends? Yes. I think, you know, we're definitely seeing Indian coming on the rise. I mean, the other, going to cocktails, just because I think this is super fun too, we're, we're seeing, you know, an 80s revival. Um, so, you know, I think we all saw there was a lot of espresso martinis. We, we actually would say, we didn't call this in our trend report last year, but it definitely towards the end of this year, the espresso martinis certainly became the drink of 2021. Um, oh, and wow. so we see that kind of continuing, you know, looking at, um, you know, seeing things like amaretto sours or Midori sours or anything with Midori. Um, Midori, and wow. tequila sunrise, like just those old kind of classic 80s drinks because, you know, everything, everything old is new again, right? Um, and so uh, some really cool places that we, we've, we've been looking at. Um, the, the, and actually, we didn't, when we were doing our research for this, this is kind of interesting, Midori launched in the U.S. in 1978 at, the, at a Saturday night uh, fever debut at Studio 54. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the, the, uh, the, the 80s are back, and, and we're drinking them this time. So uh, cheers yeah, to that one for a, sure. Yeah. <laughs> And then I think we called empanadas as the new, sort of the new. Oh, you did, right. The, yeah, yeah. Now, why and, is that? I mean, I'm not so sure well, I understand that one. Uh, well, you know, every year, I'll say this, every year we always have something that is just delicious, you know, like a pastry that's stuffed with something, whether it's, you know, a blinza or like whatever it is, there's always like one thing that's, um, and I think, again, there's a rise in not only Colombian food, but um, they're, you know, they're, they're they're sort of just delicious, and you can fill them with different things, whether it be vegetables or meat or whatever. And uh, we were just seeing a lot, you know, a lot of them, including a, um, you know, a new um, delivery service uh, that provides them frozen called Frizada. So um, so yeah, we were just yeah you know, we saw that as a a, fun, a really fun one. 
Um, and they're very diverse, right? I mean, from Argentina, they're, they're a little bit more of like a flaky pastry yeah. wrapping. Colombia, you have, you know, cornmeal masa. So there's some, there's just a, a lot of variety, uh, you know, mm-hmm. just in general. Um, and they're very, they're very approachable too, right? Like it's not a, it's not a dish that you need to have a lot of understanding about to try something new. So, um, you know, we're seeing them being served in kind of, you know, as a starter or even as the, the main entree too. Yeah. And then on the on the dessert side, we called uh, shave shaved ice, shave ice as the dessert of the year, you know. And so you probably know that from Hawaii, um, you know, where it's, it's such a very popular dessert there with different flavorings. But now, of course, you know, chefs have taken it to a new level, and mm-hmm. they're doing it with caramel toppings and turning it into these delicious, you know, confections and cakes with different flavors and um, and you know it's just it's it's light and it's delicious and uh and you know i think that we saw that definitely rising um you know cuz people still like you know they still like their sweets and we always usually have a donut or a cake or something but this year we we just saw the ice as something that was really fun yeah well i mean um, donuts are coming back too are they 80s oh definitely well, donuts, we we called donuts a couple of years ago, but you know, I don't think they're ever going to go away. I mean, I think that's what's I don't so think funny they're ever going away either. Report. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, the funny thing about the trend report is that, like, we really have to look at it and say, like, okay, that's been that's been around, so you know, it's really not you know mm-hmm. interesting, I, you know, like interesting enough to make the report. You know, whereas like, mm-hmm. can talk about the um, the fish out of water. Because I thought that was pretty interesting. What's yeah, that? Yeah, this one is really interesting. Yeah, so we are seeing um, we are seeing a lot of dry aged fish. Um, so oh, right, looking yeah. at you know, and, and again, you know, Japanese chefs have been doing it for centuries, so it's not a, a new technique per se. But we're seeing it more and more in the U.S. Um, you know, so it's aged, uh, which you know, the aging process causes a loss of moisture, so you get less yield out of the fish, but it's much more intense in flavor and very tender. So we're seeing it, um, you know, there's uh, in sushi restaurants for sure, but also in other seafood restaurants. Um, there's a restaurant in Sherman Oaks, California called The Joint Eatery that is a seafood and market, and they have almost 20 different types of dry-aged fish. And um, okay. and so it's just, it's an interesting technique, and, and so we think uh, I think we're going to see more of it. Now, there's, does, there's, what's his name do that, Rabbit? The, the guy from St. Peter's in Sydney? Yeah, there, there, there's, there's a chef in, in Sydney, Australia, who is... Essentially, trans- transforming the world of. Here's the new book I just got. It. Pr- pr- procuring and curing, and cooking fish. One fish is the name of this book. And the the, re- the restaurant is called Saint Peter's. Saint Peter's. So of course, we had to be sure to go there. But, but yeah, we were we were we were quite astounded by the thoughtfulness behind the concept of having a super-duper, very well-organized fish shop next to a restaurant. So he's, so he, so he's got a, a fine restaurant called St. Peter, and, and a daily open the door, you see what we have available for you to buy, called the Fish Butchery, which is almost next door. And he's, I call it a classic, about most rules having to do with fish, cooking fish, and yeah. preserving fish. And I think he ages fish, too. Yeah, but there's something interesting, too. We're seeing, um, we, you maybe think of a restaurant, um, Michael Mina's new restaurant in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. Um, they actually have a fish sommelier that comes tableside and walks you through your options for the, the fish uh, for the evening. Oh, which really? I think is, you know, 
Yeah, it's kind of interesting. You know, we're definitely seeing as it relates to service, you know, just to connect to that from the seafood, but um, we're definitely seeing a little bit of like a, you know, um, return to some of those service touch points. Um, Mm -hmm. On the one hand, you sort of have all of these, you know, digital ordering options and things, even in full-service restaurants, and then you have these little unexpected touches of sort of human connection and luxury, whether it's, you know, something being, um, you know, like a a, – Table side. table side yeah. or yeah, yeah, yeah or finished table side or you know that kind of elaborate fish sommelier experience yeah, we, cool. we went to a fish restaurant in mexico city where they bring around um, a little hand washing station <laughs> what was that oh. about rabbit just just what they did interesting thing was they closed every day at eight o'clock it, because, because you because don't eat Nobody in their right mind in Mexico City, fine dining, is interested in fish after 8 o'clock. It has to be. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah. (laughs) Um, I mean, I think that, you know, it's really interesting because Candace touched on something. You know, there's a lot of the restaurants that you probably have known that, you know, they moved to the QR codes for their menus. and, And now they're doing, you know, like even at the restaurant, you're able to order, you know, um, on an app, on a, on a tablet or an app. Um, so I think that part of that is solving some of the staffing issues and mm-hmm. some of the, you know, um, you know, just also for efficiency and, um, and ease of doing business. But then it is sort of this, like, you can either go that way or you can go a little more luxurious. And, sure. um, you know, I hope in 2022 that, you know, the staffing issues will ease up a little bit and that, you know, even more, the return to more fine dining as the world comes back to business travel and to different things. But it was it's a little too soon to predict, you know, how the staffing, you know, uh, issue is going to work out and also what is the new business travel going to look like. So I think yeah. that's all for 2023, you know, um, depending You're on You're already working on 2023? Uh, we start working on oh, 2023 yeah. and, and <laughs> like it now because some of the trends we're like we're ahead of it. We can't you know we can't call that yet. But um, yeah. but you know we also had a couple other fun ones. We had um, uh, what was it? Cr- crazy rich. Um, uh, yeah, crazy rich. Uh, the movie crazy, rich crazy rich cuisine. Crazy rich cuisine. You know this. Which yeah. is, tell us uh, about that. That's a nod to uh, Singaporean food. I don't know if you saw that movie, Crazy Rich Asians, but that's a little bit yes. of a play on words we have there. Um, but we're seeing a lot of uh, interest in um, the food of Singapore. So it's kind of, you know, got this really interesting interplay of, you know, Chinese, Indian, and Malay um, have sort of all influenced it. Um, it's a very unique uh, cuisine all on its own. So, you know, there's, uh, you know, creamy coconut curries and laminated breads and kind of all sorts of um, oh, yeah sweet coconut jam, and, and actually the laksa um, is our dish, our dish of the year, believe it or not. Um, so uh, if, you've not, if, you, if you've not tried laksa, um, I, I hadn't until our, until our trend. Tell me what it is again. Tell so me what laksa, it is again. Yeah, so laksa is, um, it's got noodles. It's, a, it's, it's got sort of some slurpable noodles, if you will. Um, it's in a creamy coconut curry a little bit of a spice paste, um, and then they top it with garnishes like hard-boiled eggs, or maybe it's got fresh prawns or fried tofu. Oh, so you can do um, things with it, yeah. Yeah, and so it's uh, it's pretty interesting, um, and definitely um, 
definitely worth a worth a try. Now, do you do you uh, reference other um, trend spotters when you're doing your list? Is that part yeah, of this exploration? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. Okay, yeah. and we'll and do you keep yeah. score? Do you keep a score? On... <laughs> well, if we're keeping score, we're always ahead. So not not, <laughs> not officially. <laughs> Um, we, uh, we, you know, it's interesting. I think, you know, a lot of the things that impact the industry are, 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 are fairly obvious, right? I mean, we know that we're being impacted by a labor crisis. We know that we're being impacted by the changes in the way that people, um, dine. Yeah. Um, you know, where, where I think we find the most interesting is sort of like, so what? Okay. So if people are, you know, having to get more creative, you know, I think one of the things that's been very interesting, we saw this last year, and I think we're, we're continuing to see it is, um, you know, just restaurateurs needing to figure out how to use that real estate all day long. So what does it mean that I need to, you oh, know, right. what, what do I do in the afternoon, right? Or how does that, you know, mm-hmm. what what kind of a market product could I sell or what should my to-go program look like, even if I never thought I needed one before? Um, and so especially in, you know, more expensive urban markets, um, that's definitely something that we're seeing. Think oh, of. Sure. You know, and, and I think, we're, we started one of our trends this year. We called is um, you know the rise of afternoon tea, which is obviously you know we were talking about uh, you know things from over the pond. That's not a new trendy concept, um, but it's definitely something we're seeing. You know we're seeing some roundups of you know best places for those sort of over the top teas, or looking at you know different kind of less traditional but kind of things to fill that shoulder period. And it does have some appeal to operators because. We have definitely have a generation that's coming that's way more snackier um, in terms of how they eat, but also, you know, that allows for some creativity that can be pre-prepped, right? It doesn't necessarily need to be um, rolled out the same way that dinner does. So um, it's an interesting, uh, you know, the, the, the things that impact what makes a trend stick are sometimes how creative and popular it is, but a lot of times it's also the, the business environment. Now, how about uh, what... How do you does the listener um, download your list? So yeah, if you go to either of our websites, you go to carbonategroup.com or afnco.com. We have links from our um, from our website at the top to either our insight mm-hmm. or our trend pages, and um, we uh, it's available for download right there. Carbonate what? Carbonategroup.com. So C A R B O N. I got that. A-P-E group. Yep. Mm-hmm. And, and what, uh, what's the other one? A-F. A-F, A-F-A-N-D-C-O, A-F-A-N-D-C-O.com. Okay. I have this. Okay. My writing is so hideous and so uh-huh. <laughs> The nuns would be really upset. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> So, well, this has been delightful as usual. Yeah, thank you. It's, it's such I mean, a pleasure to talk to you. you know, yeah, um, so you know, Candace is from Pittsburgh. No, I didn't know that, Candace. I really? Yeah, yeah. When, yeah. my home. Where? What part of Pittsburgh? Oh my God! Well, I grew up in um, in the uh, eastern part of Pittsburgh uh, in Murraysville. Um, but my whole my whole family, my mom's family, is all from the South Hills, and so I think we're we're pretty. Pretty much of all areas of Pittsburgh, I would say, but uh, okay. well, def- definitely have a lot of black and gold around here. Even though I live in yeah, yeah. <laughs> don't, don't, hold your, don't hold your breath for this season, huh? 
know, right? It was a horrible, horrible weekend here. The Bengals, the Steelers, it's embarrassing. Yeah, very embarrassing. <laughs> we we actually turned it off. <laughs> I mean that's 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 as a real as a real fan, I don't know that I've ever done that before. You yeah. couldn't, yeah. <laughs> well, anyhow, you two, um, well, listen, I'm okay, going to let you go. Chat with you. Okay, great. It's a pleasure and, as always. And as always, let's just call and chat from time to time too. Okay, great. Okay, yeah, and, um, and let us know. Let us know if you need anything else. <laughs> great. Okay, dears. Bye bye. Okay. Okay. Right, See you soon. Okay. Bye bye. Bye.